Thank you, Vaughn. I know that we didn't get all the offering baskets out yet. They're coming around. We have a great Sunday today. My, my name is James Baird. If you haven't been here before, I am the associate pastor for contemporary worship, for congregational development, and for family ministries. So I have one of the most fun jobs on the planet. And if you're here for the first time, you will also know that you are here on a great Sunday. A great Sunday because this is the window. This is the little little piece before the storm, actually. This is the few Sundays before this thing blows up. I believe that Easter 2014 will be one of those days that people for years to come will look back on as one of the most important days in the life of our church. This is one of the most important days because for so many years, people had given up on this church. And I'm being honest. There are so many people in this community who never believed that this church could be the center of a revival for Jesus Christ. They had decided that if there was going to be a revival, it would need to happen at a stadium. Or it would have to happen at a movie theater. And that... Any possibility of this church experiencing an abundance of new life was completely written off. But there were some people who were faithful, who had hope. And now we are already seeing, I believe, just the beginning, just the first fruits in this room and and throughout this church and in the sanctuary right now. The first fruits, we have 60 kids. Almost every Sunday we have 60 kids that are inside of our, our children's time. That's the only reason we have seats in here right now. If the kids stayed with us for the sermon, we would be out of seats. We wouldn't have any more room. That's how much life is happening around us. And I know that you don't get to see it. But that's also why I believe this scripture, as we lead toward Easter, as we take those steps toward Easter, is a perfect scripture to prepare us and to prepare our hearts and to prepare our minds and to remind us of what Jesus Christ has done in the past, is doing now, and will do in the future. Now, This is a long scripture, and I'm going to tell you the first part of it, and then we're going to jump into the part that I think you're going to stay awake that way. That's that's the strategy anyway. That's strategery. So what happens is there's uh, one of Jesus' best friends is Lazarus, and he has become very ill, and he lives in a town called Bethany. And his sister, uh, Mary and Martha, also live in that town, and they... They're very worried about his health, so they send this message. Now, Mary, by the way, do you remember Mary? She's the one who anointed Jesus with perfume, and she wiped Jesus' feet, knelt down at his feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. That sounds, this is not contextual. This is not one of those things you can say, oh, well, that's just cultural. That would have been normal back then. No, it would have been just as strange as it was today. It would have been just as jaw-dropping a moment. That's the Mary we're talking about. Now, Lazarus was very ill, so the two sisters got together and they sent a message to Jesus. And the message that they sent said, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Now, when Jesus got this message, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory. I love what he says. Rather, it's for God's glory so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. This is key. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. So that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. 
And the text tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus a lot. But when he found out that Lazarus was ill, he just stayed two days extra longer in the place where he was. And it doesn't give any explanation why. So you could just, why don't you just use your creativity there? But he stayed two extra days in the place where he was. And then after the two days, he turns to his disciples and says, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, are you crazy? Well, they didn't actually say that. What they said is they said, the Jews there were just now trying to stone you and you want to go back there? And Jesus answers with the craziest answer you could imagine. Hey, it's Jesus, right? He always seems to answer with, the, with these questions that are, that are almost Clint Eastwood-esque lines. You see, he just says, are there, no, are there not 12 hours of daylight? I just love that. He's kind of saying, hey, Frady cats. Uh, that would not be a Clint Eastwood line, by the way. But then he says, those who walk during the day do not stumble. Because they see the light of the world. But those who walk at night stumble. Because the light is not in them. Wow, that's powerful. The light is not in them. And then he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. And the disciples are like, do we really need to do that? He seems, he seems fine to me. Or what they actually said is, if he's asleep, he's going to be just fine. He's going to be all right. And Jesus is a little bit more clear. He speaks to them plainly is what the scripture says. And he says, Lazarus is dead. But I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you would believe. The scripture jumps and tells us that Jesus arrived at the town where they lived. And when he arrived, uh, this woman came, came out to him and uh, it was Martha who had heard that he was coming and she came out to the edge of town. And Martha when she sees Jesus, she says to him, Lord, if you had only been here, that's just such a, doesn't that sound like an awful thing to say to Jesus? If you had only been here, Lazarus would not have died. But she says, but I believe that even though, even now that he's dead, that God will do whatever you ask of him. And Jesus says to Martha, Lazarus is going to rise again. And Martha says, yeah, no, duh. He's going to rise again at the, at the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus says, actually, let me see if I can find it because I I want you to get it right. He says, this is amazing. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. You hear that? Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he says to Martha, do you believe that? Then Martha says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. When she says this, she then goes back to her sister, Mary, and Mary's in this house um, in Bethany, which is only two miles away from Jerusalem. Um, So a lot of the Jews from Jerusalem had come to console Martha and Mary in their house. And so this house was filled with uh, Jewish people who were caring for Martha and Mary. And and she tells Mary, Martha tells Mary, she says, hey, you know what? The teacher is here and he's calling for you. So Mary jumps up 
in the middle of this grieving process, jumps up and runs out of the house. At which point, all of the Jews that are in the house say, they they clearly think that something's up, and they decide that they're all going to follow her. But only because they think that she is actually going to the tomb of Lazarus to weep as part of the grieving process. But what they discover is that she meets Jesus on the edge of the town. And when she sees Jesus, it says that she knelt down at his feet. And she said to him again, the same thing that Martha said. She said, now imagine, this is Mary who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. She kneels at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Now let's fall into the scripture here. We'll read it up on the screen. You can follow along. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came, who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loves him. But some of them said, could he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, remember the scripture from last week that Jason preached on, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away this stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here. So that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried out with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. What a powerful story. What a powerful true story. Now, what's interesting about this for me is this little dialogue that goes on between the disciples and Jesus. When Jesus says, let's go again to Judea. And the disciples say to Jesus, hey, why would we want to go back there? Because that's the place that they tried to stone you. Now, I don't know if you understand what stoning is, but it is the most, one of the most depraved ways of killing someone that you could ever possibly imagine. We kind of tend to be like, oh, cross, stoning. I'd say stoning is up there. Stoning, they throw, at least right now, the way that they do it in the Middle East. Sorry to break the news to you. They put a white sheet over the person and then tie them off right around the waist. Then they bury them up to their waist in dirt so that all that's All that's remaining is their top part of their body. And then one by one, they throw stones at the person until the white sheet turns blood red. And then they keep doing this. And the people who are really compassionate will throw as hard as possible because you essentially want the person to die as fast as possible because it's such a painful, awful death. One stone after another hitting the person. 
So if you're there, you probably join in just because you know what the eventuality is. It's evil until the body is limp and lifeless. The reason I'm saying this is not to ruin your day and to (laughs) scar you for life. The reason I'm saying this is because Jesus was fully aware that this is what he was exposing himself to. That this level of depravity and this level of darkness is quite possibly what he was going to experience if he went and he ended up raising Lazarus from the dead or helping Mary or helping Martha or going back to Judea. So when the scripture talks about how much Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, we can't seem to get it out of our mind that Jesus was willing to die for them. What's important in this verse also is to look at the moment, the little reference that Jesus says at the very beginning. He says, this illness does not lead to death. And we know that that he was talking about a permanent death. Because it clearly did lead to death for Lazarus. But what he said is he says, rather, this is this illness is for God's glory so that the son of man would be glorified through it. See, the point of raising Lazarus from the dead was not really so Lazarus could have five extra years and go golfing. The point of raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus clearly explains, is so that people would believe and know that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that God would have glory on the face of uh, glory among the people and that people's eyes would be opened. I love the way that Jesus talks in this text about, about light and dark. I mean, that is one of the classic lines. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? I think we should just say that. If we're out in front and we're saying, would you like to pick up a yard sign to put in your yard? And they say, oh, I'm a little afraid of what my neighbors would think if I put a sign about Easter at Lacey Park. And then we should just lean in and say, are there not 12 hours of daylight? That should just be our response anytime someone's afraid of anything. Are there not 12 12 hours of daylight? But then he says, those who walk in the day do not stumble. Because they see the light of the world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. I love the way Jesus talks about the light being in them. Look around the room. The physical light of this world is in you right now, if you can see. And I know that many people have a harder time seeing or may not be able to see, but this is, this is an illustration. Look around and see the light of the world. Now I want you to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Wait, what's changed? What's changed about the situation? All of the things are still there and the shape of the world is the same. But the difference is that the light is not inside of you. It's not there. And you can open your eyes again. Jesus talks about going and performing an awakening. Opening the eyes of Lazarus. And more importantly, opening the eyes of Martha and Mary. The scripture ends after the part that we just read saying that many of the Jews who were there believed in Jesus and that they were excited about Jesus, so excited that they ran to their church leaders and they said, hey, everybody, we're so excited about Jesus. And the church leader said, who is he a member? (laughs) Is he is he an elder? Is he the deacon? I don't know. I don't know how they, they they phrased it back then, but they essentially said, this guy sounds like he's rogue. Sounds like he's outside of the system. And if he's outside of the system, we're going to be exposing ourselves to a lot of danger. We remember what happened last time there was a revolution. The Romans came and they crushed all of our people. 
They destroyed us. They ruined our homes. They take apart our families. Do you remember what happened last time? Apparently, Jesus' words didn't get to these people. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? And so the disciples were right because at that moment, the plot to kill Jesus took place. It was a direct result of his being willing to go to Lazarus, to go to Judea, and to raise Lazarus from the dead. So this means that that having us believe here today was so important that Jesus was willing to die for it at any time, at any place. And he wasn't afraid of that because it was that important. If our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ is that important, then it's not of secondary nature. It's of the foremost importance. It's one of the most important things in the entire world. And as we know, Jesus, as we're going to experience the messages in the coming weeks, he did die. He did die to convey the depth of God's love to you and me. He did suffer the most cruel and the most depraved darkness that anyone could ever imagine. You know what's interesting to me about when Jesus arrives at this town? Is that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that they gave up on Jesus. Now, you might say, that's a little harsh. You usually put a dead body in the tomb because it stinks. But actually, I believe that he encountered a situation in which they felt that the depth of the darkness that they had encountered was too much for Jesus to meet. That they were waiting for Jesus to come and help Lazarus all the time while he was sick. But once he died, they figured, not much of a chance here. Let's get him out. Now, that might be reading into it too much. But the point of it is that even if you talk to Martha and to Mary and you listen to their conversation, you do sense that, they, yes, they have faith in Jesus, but they also have this sense that Jesus abandoned them. There's this question of whether Jesus can meet the darkness that's in their hearts And even the darkness of death itself. But then Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead. He raises Lazarus from the dead to tell them that there is no darkness that is too big for Jesus Christ. That there's no darkness that God can't overcome. And honestly, in this world, in this society, there's a lot of darkness that we decide that Jesus just can't handle. That Jesus just can't deal with. And so what we do, this is... A lot of psychologists have put a lot of work into this to prove this, but I think that we could have figured it out on our own. What people do, and they say that what they do is they put those concerns and those cares that are a little bit too big, abuse from childhood, the death of someone that was really close to them, maybe a traumatic injury, something that has happened in terms of a broken relationship, and they put it in a box and they shove it under the bed. And they think that that's a great way of dealing with it. But what they're really doing is they're taking that moment of their life, that that darkness, and they're just putting it in the darkness. Another way that I think that we could think about that today is to think about taking those things, those broken areas of our life that we feel that Jesus just can't meet and just Jesus can't deal with and putting them in a cave and sealing it up and even binding it up and wrapping it up. 
And we're so afraid that the door would be opened because we think that the stench of the darkness that we have dealing with in our lives is too big for the world to deal with and too big for Jesus Christ to deal with. And so as pastors, we sit here day in and day out. Every single day we have a phone and the phone is not ringing as much as it should be. Because honestly, I would love it if you guys would be calling and feel free in order to contact one of us. But if you don't feel comfortable with us, there's a whole congregation of people around you who are loving and kind and gracious and willing to walk with you through life. And I get it that you need to kind of become comfortable first because this is some heavy stuff that we're dealing with. But the reality is that if there's some darkness that you're dealing with in life, and I know that some people in this congregation have even fought against cancer. And those people are walking alongside other people who have fought against, who are currently fighting against cancer. And they're using the experience that they've had in order to lift each other up. You see, there is no level of darkness that Jesus cannot address and cannot meet and cannot minister to. And the other thing that I would like to say to you is that there are some of you probably in this room who feel like you are the one that has been bound up and put away in the darkness and sealed away. That somehow the world has given up on you and the world doesn't feel that you're important enough or that there's any hope that there could be some great fruitful life coming out of your body and out of your mind and out of your soul and out of your strength. That the world has somehow bound you up and given up on you because they think that it's over and done with. The last word has been said. This is the day that I would love for you to hear Jesus saying to you, open up the tomb. Take the stone away. Unbind that person. If it's you, become unbound. Take off the gag. Take off the cloths that cover you up in your darkness and your sickness from the world. And allow Jesus and the light of Jesus to pour into your life. And we get that this is a process and that this is something. But you know what? The best first place to start is not even by picking up a telephone. The best first place to start is with prayer. So let's pray. Lord. You love us so much. And we know that In some way, all of us have given up on you at different times in our lives. But we thank you for never giving up on us, even if it meant death on a cross. Even if it meant being stoned. Having people murder you, Lord. Lord, we pray that the stones would be taken away from the dark places in our life. That we would be joining in with those people who saw this for the first time and that we would come to believe. And that we would be like Martha, who says yes today. Saying yes, Lord, we believe that you are the Messiah. The Son of God. The one coming. Lord, Lead us. Draw us forward. And show us the way into the light.
And all God's people said, Amen.